Let me pray and we'll get to it. Father God, we are... We've got to be constantly reminded that the old man still is being drug around in our life. We have a new nature, but the old tends to want to rear its head and take control. God, we know that one and others are those pieces that absolutely go counter to our old self. We're so self-centered and so self-actuated that we don't realize how intense it's driven in everything. And unfortunately, it comes right into our Christian life. It comes right into the church. God help us not to look at these things as just really nice things to understand in our head, but to actually look down in our heart and see if it does reside there. If not, show us. And then lead us in the way that we should live with one another. We may want to have a church that is dynamic and flourishing and warm and caring. But that all starts down in the depths of our own hearts. It can't be done as a program. It can only be done by your work in us. God, illumine our hearts and our minds to the truth and then activate us to execute the truth to those around us. In Jesus Christ, amen. So our fourth fun is to care for one another. Our text this morning is going to be Galatians 6, 1 through 5. Actually, I'll tell you, if you really want to understand what it means to have body life and to really execute what needs to be done for us with one another, the whole book of Galatians focuses in a tremendous amount, and it's a great book to spend some time studying. But let's review. Where have we been? It's been a month. I'm probably pretty sure we might say, the, <laughs> as we found this morning, <clears throat> we may have totally forgotten what four weeks ago was. Possibly. So we've been studying a few of the one another's in the New Testament. Each week we've progressed through the necessary elements that each are built upon the other. At least this is what I see. Our first week, we find ourselves in the upper room where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. John 13, 14, Jesus says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. It was the example that Jesus left. It's a hard example. Again, we know feet aren't the sweetest things of the body. It can be nasty, and definitely in that time period, it was nasty. The only way that we would be able to truly wash feet is found then in the new covenant that we also had in verse 34. It says a new covenant, and Jesus is telling them this, a new covenant I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Jesus lived before them and is before us as to what he has commanded. Jesus didn't give us a command that says, do it, and there's no example. You go through the Gospels and examine and watch God in human form doing what? Living out exactly what he commands us to do. Is there a living example standing before us? Yes. Do we look at that example and compare our life to that example? I don't know. 
So then the next week we added that we are to humble ourselves to one another, which can only be accomplished when the love of God moves through our lives. Jesus, again, is the example before us in Philippians 2.3. And this might be worth memorizing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. How would you all do this week as you look back at work, at home, wherever? Do you see that humility coming out? Do you see the attitude that says, I desire to what? Consider others more highly than I'm myself. I would venture probably not. I caught myself a gazillion amount of times again this week going, man, I was really into me. I was more concerned about me. It's easy to do. It's easy to fail in that point. Again, it's... Look at the heart. What's the issue? Pride is no value in the life of a true, true follower of Christ. It is not about us, but all about Christ through us. And remember, the world can evaluate us past our words. We can say something, but they're watching our life. And if our life is not the example that it should be, they're going to identify it very quickly. I had a young guy next to me at work. We worked together, and <laughs> I don't remember what I said or what I did. But he's not a believer. But he caught me, and he challenged me, and he questioned what I did. <laughs> I was like, oh, again. Being humble is tough. And then last week we moved yet further, <clears throat> more than just dispersing in the church. From our love for one another, our humility with one another, and then we moved into the service of one another, to serve one another. You might realize serving others is a very inconvenient thing. Because it doesn't always hit on a schedule. It happens. When it happens, do you move to serve? Or do you negotiate, well, what are the benefits for me? What do I get out of the deal? Because if I serve you, then you're going to have to serve me, right? You may not say that, but you know you're doing it. I know I'm doing it. I have a little checklist. I've got a little credit sheet over here. I helped. I'm going to get. That's a disgusting way to live. We do it in our families. Galatians 5.13, very end of the verse, says, But through love serve one another. Through love. Where's the love come from? Yourself? Did you conjure it up? Did you make it work? Did you kind of gear that thing up and kind of it all fired up and ready to go? No. If the love of God is not burning in you, you're not going to serve anybody except for yourself. Again, this is built on the foundation of God's love, not on our flesh. And we serve through the washing of feet, and we will do anything to serve, no matter how low it may be. It's not an ego thing. Look at me. I was listening to a sermon this week, and the pastor was saying just how dangerous it is, because he grew up 
in athletics, and he grew up kind of the before he was a believer, kind of look at me. Hey, you know, I'm this great athlete. I'm doing all these things and everything. And he said he started realizing that was starting to eke right into his ministry. And he's up there. He's he's the guy teaching. He's the guy everybody's looking at. And he's like, that's just was feeding my ego. My little self was pumped up. He says, man, that was something to look at and examine. He says, that's something I'm pushing against every day. And again, Jesus is the example before us in our service to others, Philippians 2, 5 through 7. He says, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So you can't say you don't really know how to do any of these. Jesus stands before us and says, I came here, I took on flesh to show you what the real life is to be like when it's God-centered. So now we move into our fourth one, care for one another. For our last time, we move to the life of the, really, the church of Christ. We are all going to be carrying each other's burdens, and we need to. We don't like it sometimes because it invades our personal plans. So our text is Galatians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 3, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The text kind of starts out a little interesting. But I want to try to keep it simple because I don't want to get into There's a lot of complexity in this, a lot more intense that I think we've got the time to, to really break down. Think about the fact here, we're talking about an individual who's fallen into sin. I like the, the structure of it because it's really somebody who's fallen, it's kind of like they've been tripped up. It's not like they've planned to sin. It's not like they've gotten into it and kind of negotiated and figured out how they can really get into this sin. It's they're going along with a great strong desire, woke up probably in the morning saying, there is no way I want to sin against God. I'm going to position myself before God. I'm in the Word. I'm in, I'm in communicate. I don't want to sin, especially in the way that's been catching me. And in their full intensity, all of a sudden they're going along. Maybe they were flirting a little bit too close to temptation. You know what that looks like. You're kind of getting right up there to the edge. You know you shouldn't be even near the rim, but you're at the edge. What are you doing there? What are you going to do? Turn around is what you should do. So you may have gotten too close. It's nothing to really see and look at. 
get back from the edge. I was I, I, I get confused. I grew up being at the Grand Canyon a lot, and and I just don't understand. People fall to their death. Why? They got too close to the edge. What did that fall do to them? Well, let's put it straight. It killed them. What do you do? Get as close to the edge as you can? No. Step back. Can you still see the Grand Canyon from one, two, three paces back? Oh, yeah, don't worry. It's not a crack. It's huge. But we're asked for this fellow believer who has fallen, we're to do what? Pick him up. It also has an interesting piece. It talks about those who are spiritual. Let me be careful because I remember how I read this years ago. Ooh, spiritual, right? Is that ever your thought? Well, it's not. See, you can't have humility and arrogant spirituality. Those don't fit. Really, they don't, okay? Really, it's an individual who is walking by the Spirit themselves. You realize that's not going to allow any arrogance to pop in and be part of your life. You're walking, you're walking with God. You are the best person God can bring along this individual who has fallen because you're going to do what? The text is going to bring it up, but you're going to do one thing that's a natural response in your life. You're going to do what? You're going to pick them up. It's a spiritual person in their walk. They're not arrogant. See, those who are spirit-controlled are realizing it's not them, it's all God. So they're never going to come across. And I love the fact, too, that We have the responsibility to restore the one who has fallen. We're restoring them to God to a standing position. And when someone falls, we should have the heart to move quickly to get them up. Side note, this has always hit my head. I just really wish the scriptures had gone a little bit further than they did. But remember the time, good old Peter, our best bud. We learned so much from him because he's so much like us. Remember, they were in the boat. Jesus had sent them off and go back to headquarters to Capernaum while Jesus stayed. And they're, what? Out in the middle of this huge lake that has instantaneous storms. A storm came up. It was intense. They were concerned. They were afraid. I always love, Jesus is still way away on land, and I love what Mark says. Mark says that he knew where they were and what was going on. See, that's God. He knows everything that's going on. So all of a sudden, Jesus meets them. Now, that freaks them out because they're thinking he's a phantom, right? I mean, how many times have you seen someone walking on the water? (laughs) For these guys, probably never, obviously, right? So they're like, ha, you know, they're so psyched out with this condition that they're in that they're kind of hallucinating that, of course, they want Jesus, but not there. But I love Peter's response. Can I come out with you, Jesus? See, the only thing, Peter just has this connection. I've got to be with Jesus because if I'm not with Jesus, I'm useless. Well, we see that a lot, right? So he gets, in my mind's eye, Peter's asking that question with his swimsuit on. 
that's how I gear it up. He's moving. He wants to be with Jesus, and he just wants to make sure it's okay for him to come out on what? Water. Okay, wait a minute. Back up. This guy's what? He's a carpenter, right? And he knows everything about wood, land, and foundation and structure. You better say no. He's a fisherman. Has he ever known that water gives you great buoyancy and you can walk on it without any condition or problem? No, that's why they're in a boat, okay? They didn't walk back to Capernaum over the lake. So Jesus says, come. But, keep your eyes fixed on me. The waves are here. I'm here. So what happens? The text moves on and Peter gets concerned of what? The stuff around him. What's he do? And then they're back in the boat. <laughs> uh, there's a piece missing. Okay, let's fill in the blank. We all know who Jesus is. We know the character of Jesus. We know everything about him being God. We know that God is caring, a loving God. So what do you think Jesus did with Peter now all wet and in the water? Well, the text doesn't say it, but what do you think Jesus would do? He'd pick him up and they'd walk back to the boat. Of course, Peter's like going, down, hurting. But if Jesus says that we're supposed to carry a burden, he's going to get Peter up. Again, the text doesn't say, I'm feeling this thing big time, right? But again, you look at the character of God, what would he do? What does he do to you? Smash, 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 smash. Peter, how many times have I told you, if I tell you to do something, do it. Cotton picking, you make me madder than all. Get out now. Get back to the boat. Is that what he did? No. No. Peter, I love you. Come on, Peter, what did I tell you? You've got to keep your eyes fixed on me. You know what happens when you don't. So what do you do? You dust them off. You bring their healing. You take care of them. If someone fell before, before you, would you help? It's an easy thing to say, but maybe not. I had a situation that this kind of has like multiple facets to it. Had a good friend. Her name was Becky in junior college. Long time ago, okay. She had polio. So she had all those braces on her legs and her, her hips were, and she was, and she had those hand crutches and she'd work through. It was a lot of work for her to get, but we'd, I'd carry her book bag and whatever, and, or sometimes she'd just carry it and I'm just like, okay, whatever. But tried to help. And I remember one day we were walking across campus and she just fell. And I was like, oh, you know, inside just going, oh, did she break anything? What's going on? So I went to go help her, and she goes, nope, nope, I got to do this. Okay, I feel a little weird now. I'm like, and, you know, I'm standing there. Now picture this. You're the crowd around us, and I'm just standing there watching this poor polio victim try to get up, back up on her braces and crutches because she told me no. What do you think everybody else is thinking I am? That's the biggest jerk I've ever seen. 
poor girl. She's down there on the ground, and he's just standing there. She told me no. But multiple sides of that picture. One, if we fall, we don't say no. We say yes. And two, we don't stand there. We bend down and we help them up. Could you picture me standing before Becky and hitting her on her braces going, come on, get up. But is that what you've experienced or you've seen people do or people have done to you when you've fallen? I've seen it. I've had it. I tell you, I felt strange. I'm just standing there going, and people look at me, you know, the hate look. You've seen that hate look. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, come on, Becky, hurry up, get, get up, get up, because I'm, I'm, I'm dying here, because people are looking at me like, you are the most horrid human, and I'm just like, ah. But you know what? The scriptures are clear with this. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. I love it. I have to keep reminding myself, two are better than one. Gee, is that really some top knowledge? You ever thought of that? You ever done tug of war with yourself? It's ridiculous. Because they have a good reward for their toil, for if they fall, wow, this is in Scripture, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. Ah. But... Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. That's why you don't say no. And that's why we have an obligation to one another to care for one another and lift up and bear one another's burdens to get us going together. You're sitting next to someone that's had a fall, will fall, and will fall again. What are you going to do? You know, I'm tired of picking you up. You're cutting, picking heavy, and that's about it for me, and I'm done. No. No, we don't have that. As Christians, though, when we fall, we should not try to get ourselves up, but be lifted by another stronger believer, stronger in the fact that they have not fallen too. So many times we push away those that God has moved to help us, and when we know that someone has fallen, we also should move to lift them. Not judgmentally. End of verse 1. Keep watching yourself lest you too be tempted. Good warning. Oh, do you think that you're not capable of that same sin? (laughs) Yes, you are. So don't sit there and come up Mr. High and Mighty and Mrs. High and Mighty when you got someone who fell. Don't sit and start judging and start helping. And then get into the Word, get into prayer, and lift them and carry them and guide them and direct them through. Is it going to take you some time? Oh, yeah, it could. The one lifting is given a warning that they too are sinners and have the same propensity to fall. You can fall in the exact same way as the one fallen. The one fallen not only will need to be lifted, but the excessive burdens of their life will be so that they'll need a co-lifter. To share the burden. See, the interesting, Paul is using two terms. We've got two terms in this section. We've got burden used twice. The first burden is an excessive heavy burden. Heavy burden. 
The second one that we'll get into literally is the normal burden. We all have burdens. We wake up in the morning, I've got to get me moving. That's a burden, okay? I've got to go to work. can be a burden. But he's talking, Paul's talking about here the excessive burdens. Verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What in the world is the law of Christ? Hmm, I think we've hit this before. It's the law of love, and we are back right where we started in Galatians 5.14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul also brings it up again in Romans 13.8. Owe no one anything except, this is what we owe one another. Except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And again in Romans 13, 10, a little further down, and he says, love does, does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That's the law of Christ. Did he give us the example? Yes, he did. How many times did he pick up those apostles? Well, that was just a motley group of guys that you just look at and go, man, I would have picked a whole different crew, right? And then you look at the crew and you go, <laughs> they're just, oh yeah, that's why I probably wouldn't pick them because they're a lot like me. <laughs> Humility is required again, as it is stated now, we move into verse 3. It says, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, don't get over yourself, it's done. He deceives himself. That one's hard because we're really good about puffing ourselves up. You ever looked at, <laughs> don't put your hand up. You ever look in the mirror and go, man, you're just a cute little thing, aren't you? No. I look in the mirror and go, well, there's a sinner and one looking back at each other. This is great. You see, when someone sins, they don't need you to come and blow them out of the water, but to lift them out of the water and then remain with them until they are strong again. How long is that going to be? Weeks? Months? Maybe years. I've had some that I've discipled. This is going to be rough because I'm starting to feel it in my eyes. It's been years. They're up. They're down. Sometimes I feel that they're more out of it than anything else. Does it stop my prayers? No. Does it stop my reaching out? Not as intent, because I'm, I really want them to just seek God. Does it hurt? Yes. Yeah, it's extremely personal. It's, it's, it's weighty. That's usually a lot of times where people say, I don't really want to help anybody because it's going to hurt. And it's going to hurt deep. It's that kind of hurt that just absolutely rips you apart. But you go to God. You know, I know a lot of times when I was in college, we talked about the fact that as believers, we're shock absorbers for one another. I kind of understand that, but the other time too, I feel like the shock absorber is not working as well, and I'm still getting some of the shock. I'm getting the hit. It's hurting. You know, we need to take care of one another, and that is a lot of work, and it's a lot of pain, and it sometimes just goes on and on. But you know what? If God's patient with me... What do I have to be? Patient with, them. Patient with everyone else. That's not easy. 
It's only by God's grace that I'd go back. And I have gotten times where I have counseling, and it's hard. And I look at God and I go, is there a way out of this thing? Because it, no. Jesus says, there wasn't a way out for me. I took care of you, so you take care of them. Verse 4 continues, says, let each one test his own work. And in his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. I love that. We're examining our own life before we go and help another. Remember Luke six forty one forty two. 42. Once I start reading the text, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know about that one. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, oh, let me take out the speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. doesn't mean you get off the deal. It means you get the log out. You repent. You deal with your sin, the same sin. But then you go to your brother and go, we're going to do this together. We're going to walk through this together. We're going to get down the road with God. The standards that we are checking against is not your own fallen brother. Oh, look how great I am. Look at the mess he is. No. That's only going to cause you to think that you're super spiritual. No. The standard is you examine your life against the holiness of God. You do that, you're going to be a humble individual because there's no way that you're going to approach anybody roughly and harshly and rudely thinking that you're above them when you're a wretched sinner. And it's obvious when you look at yourself. The boasting then will only be in what God has done in your life. It is to be for His glory and we are to be vessels used for God's work. And that work is His alone, not ours. We can never boast in ourselves that sounds weird, doesn't it? Oh, look at what I've done for Jesus. D- does that come off weird? Does that kind of like go, ew, wash, don't, t- don't touch that. But do we do that? I'm not a bad Christian. <laughs> you haven't looked inside, have you? Just investigate your life and you will see a vast array of sin. Hence the reason that you should be on guard as you too can fall into sin. As we live out our lives, Paul brings it all back down to our own burdens, which are separate from the heavy, excessive burdens of our fellow saint who has fallen. Verse 5, he says, For each will have to bear his own load. It's not the point to say you don't bear anybody else's burdens. It says, you know what, folks? You've got your own burden to deal with, now deal with it. Don't sit and spread it around thinking this is some excessive burden. It's not a major burden. It's your, you, you carry your own. I'm not going to work for you, okay? Uh-uh. i got to go to work. Okay? Back in the day when we were changing diapers with those cute grandkids. You know what I'm talking about, okay? Don't have to go much further. That was kind of nasty and dirty. But was that an excessive burden? No, don't, don't say yes. Don't, no, shame. No, it's what you do. Why? Because you care and you love them. And they can't do it. Here, do your own diaper. 
Don't go down that road. You know what that mess would have been. You know what? The biggest things about it is the best part of that burden can be the ministry that God has given us to care and carry the burdens of others, care for others. That's a burden, a ministry burden that's totally amazing. Can it be heavy? Yes. But is it excessive heavy? Really no. Because we're vessels, we're agents of God to do the work of the ministry, to care for them. So how do we do this? We've got four huge things we hit. I'll just give you a real blunt one. We can't if we try to do it in the power of the flesh and not by walking in the Spirit. Oh, it'll look like you're doing it, but we know there's going to be aftermath that comes out of it. It's going to be so self-centered, it's gross. You'll execute these commands in one of two ways. Romans 8.13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what are the deeds of the flesh? Need we remind ourselves? <clears throat> Galatians 5.19.21-21 Now the works of the flesh are, and I love this word, they're evident. Oh, we can see them. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now, I don't think any of us have really dealt with some of those big ones, right? How about this one? <laughs> Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Do we have that here in this room today? That's what we want to say, but it's here. You know what? We hear things of people's anger, envy, strife in this church. It's sin. It's your sin. That's what will kill the ministry. That's what will kill anything. And he goes on, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. So he's not giving you a tight, succinct list. He's giving you, well, you understand what I'm talking about. Anything that's self-centered is the flesh. But the life that is directed by the Spirit of God will love, be humble, serve, and carry burdens of others with gladness. Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. He has, see how these things counter everything that was in that other list? Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things, there is no law. Why? Because it is God born in us. Again, look at the first fruit listed is what? Love. It's only from God. Without the love of God abiding in us, we will only live by the flesh which is corrupted. You know, we can talk about these commands, but at this moment you will not have the opportunity to be trained in them. Like I said before, you've heard, you will see, you know. Now when those opportunities come up, that's going to expose one of two things. That your heart is driven by God and it is a spirit-controlled life, or you're going to see your flesh in total activity. It's going to be the driving force. You're going to have one or two. You can't play the middle of the road. 
You're going to either serve the flesh or you're going to serve the work of the Spirit and God in your life. You can't have both. You can't play the middle. And when these opportunities come up, it is the greatest opportunity for you and I to see what's really down in the wretchedness of our heart. You get down in there and you let God get down in there and you let him expose those things. Now you've got an area where like David in Psalm 139, you say, Lord, then lead me. Show me. Grow me. See, when a sermon is is preached or the word is proclaimed and it's a command, again, you don't have the immediate opportunity necessarily in the congregation to do anything about it. But away from there, you've got tons of opportunities. The uniqueness this morning, we had two opportunities were immediately given to you to serve. Guess what? Do you guys understand why we do announcements? Because we really got to fill the bloody time here because we've just got so much junk to do. And, you know, we got a time block we've got to fill here at church. We don't, or you guys are going to think you got gypped, right? So what we do, these announcements, we go on and on and on. We talk about the most inane, stupid stuff. We print it out. For what? For us to do. It's a service list, not a bulletin. It's an opportunity to serve. Do you ever approach it, look at it, and go, where do you want me, God, to get involved, to do? John even said this morning, what? You got a little group, a little Awana thing, we need your help for a half an hour. Half an hour? I'm just too busy. No, you're not. To be with little ones that God, one day we pray, will call to himself, but you get to be on the ground floor? I get frustrated when people are sitting here talking the whole time when the announcements are going on. Why? Because you need to be hearing for those opportunities to execute what God has called you to do. The bulletin is not your... I know. When I was little, I would... Don't you dare do this this morning, folks. You're older than that. But I used to draw in the little O things, like O's and P's and little... You know what I'm talking about. I've seen some of those here when you, they leave them trash and you look and go, oh, I used to do that. God, that's not an adult. <clears throat> we have a lot of opportunities to serve. But to serve, you have to what? Know that you're going to be lifting somebody and carrying them for a long term. But all this stuff has got to be standing right on the fact that you have to be a a humbled heart, broken before God, to be a, what, a servant. And all this stands on the foundation of the love of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts that gives us the strength and the power to do His will, not ours. So you've heard enough text to realize, I've got a lot of work to do. That's fine. And if you realize that these are areas of sin, then go to him. Don't quickly rush to repent, but go to him and say, God, show me the deep junk. And let's start working on that together. Because I might have one little thing on the outside, but what's down deep inside in my heart is what? Something is really ugly. 
And I want to see my bad. I want to confront my bad in your work. And I want you to grow me up. Show me. And grow me up to do the work of the ministry that you've called me to do. That's what we're here for. That's body life. We go from here into the whole of the congregation. We have a responsibility to care for one another. Will you do that today? Tomorrow? When? It's hard. But only by God's grace and staying with him does he give us the strength and ability to do it. Let's pray. God, it's so easy for us to do our own thing all the time. It's our bent. It's our natural state. It's what we came from. We have a new nature and we need to continually rely on you to grow us and activate the true natural state that is new in us to grow. We have to counter all the junk and that counter is only by your work in our lives. Help us to understand the intensity of love that we have, but let us move from there to the real reality that we are called to serve one another. If we serve one another here or anywhere, we know that we don't have the time or the energy to have strife and issues. We are called then to heal one another and to come into their lives and to help them grow. And we're thankful for those people who have been in our lives and patient with us and help us grow. God, guide us, direct us, keep us humble, but at the same time, too, cause us to move in a joyous heart that wants to serve you and serve others. God, we love you. And we want your love to permeate every inch and every corner of our lives. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.